Amen. Now, Brother Cox is a servant. What do you think about somebody who gets the lawnmower from where they're staying and mows the lawns right where they are? Instead of waiting on somebody else to do it, Brother Cox did that over at the Abbott's cabin and then over at the Abbott's house. That's pretty amazing. Brother Cox, thank you for being a man of God. Thank you for having a servant's heart. Thank you for preaching the word of the Lord. Come minister. I've been reading lately that they're making a lot of advances with transplants. I even read about where they transplanted somebody's face. I don't know where the list is to sign up, but it'd be a good idea <laughs> if they put one near why where I could find it. Um, but what I'd really like to do is have Brother Glover's voice. <laughs> I'll keep my old ugly face if I could get his voice. Isn't he wonderful? We've had a great time here today and last night. I'm telling you, I've enjoyed. I'm so thrilled that I convinced Brother Parrish to ask me to come to Alaska. I mean that. When I heard today the uh, report Brother Blackshear was giving about your Christmas for Christ offering, it was incredible. If everyone could give like y'all do, we'd have a lot more money for the harvest. And I admire y'all for that extremely. I do. Thank you. Thank you so much for the honor of being here. I've enjoyed the message this morning again, Brother Sistrunk, just... Wow, such practical things about, about starting churches and, and just dealing with people. And then along came Brother Judd and talked to us about unity and then Brother Showalter with that great message of missions. I'm enjoying myself. If you turn in your Bibles tonight to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. I think... That was just referred to by Brother Glover, so he must have been looking at my notes. <laughs> Although they'd be hard to read. <laughs> I still do mine the old-fashioned way. I'm, I, I've got one of those iPads, and I see these guys preaching off of them all the time. All I know about my iPad is when I use it, it goes blank ever so often. And I know my brain goes blank, and if it goes blank, and if uh, anyhow, so I still use paper. Praise God. <laughs> Matthew 25, verse 24. I'm going to read from there. Matthew chapter 25, verse number 24. And when you're getting there, you'll notice if your Bible has those little descriptions ahead of it, like mine. Chapter 25 starts out with the parable of the ten virgins. And um, I'm not going there, but where I am going starts in verse 14. But I'll read to you beginning in verse 24. The Bible said, Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art a hard man, 
reaping where thou hast not sown, and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid, and went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there thou hast that is thine. His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not, and gather where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received mine own with usury. Take therefore the talent from him, and give it unto him which hath ten talents. For unto every one that hath shall be given, and he shall have abundance, but from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath. And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness, and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let's pray right now. Jesus, this is your word that we've read. And I certainly feel impressed, God, to try to preach from these scriptures tonight. But I want it to be what you have to say because I want somebody here tonight to be ministered to by your presence. So help me to say the right things and do the right things. And I'll give you glory for it, God, because I want to see this beautiful Alaska-Yukon district grow and grow and grow for your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said amen. Amen. You may be seated. I was born in St. Paul, Minnesota while my father was in Bible school at ABI. So that should let you in on the fact that I have been in church all my life. And I'm thrilled about it. I love it. I do. I've had Sunday school teachers through the years teach. In fact, I had one Sunday school teacher one time, a little church that my dad had taken, and they were, <laughs> we'd won some new people, and they literally became one of those foundational families Brother Sistrunk talked about. And Dad asked that man to be our nine-year-old boy Sunday school teacher. I was nine at the time. Come to find out that man couldn't read nor write. So what we would do is we'd read the lesson for him and he'd comment on it. And he was an excellent auto mechanic and what time we didn't finish up with the word, we learned how to work on cars. So I have, I have, uh, I could have had a lot more lessons, by the way, on that from him. It helped. I've heard a lot of things said in Sunday school class that I found out later that I really need to think about that a little bit more. And this story is one of those stories in the Bible that has bugged me for a long time. I just have to be honest with you. It, the gist of the story is this. The Bible said, and if you've got a red letter Bible, this is all in red. Jesus is talking. So we know it's extremely accurate. He doesn't mess up. He said the kingdom of heaven was like a man traveling far country. And so he gathered these three fellows together. And one of them he gives five talents to. The other one he gives two talents to. And the other one he gives one talent. Now, you know what bugs me about it? Now, he may have, but there's nothing in this story that says he gave him instructions about what to do with those talents. And I always took it that those talents represented money. 
You know, when I was in school, I'm talking about formal schooling, I did not do good in literature. Because particularly when they'd have you read those poems by Edgar Allan Poe and who was that woman poet that they all wrote in little letters and didn't know how to use capitals, that one, you know. And that teacher would stand up there and read, we'd read that poem. What do you see in that poem? I never could see what they all saw. <laughs> I'm sorry, my brain didn't work like theirs. <laughs> so I'm a little puzzled because maybe, the, maybe that master did tell them what to do and I would like to think that he did, but it's not recorded. So if I just take the story at what it says, I can't see all that other stuff. If I take it for what it says, he gives them three talents and he takes off. And he's gone a long time. And when he comes back, he calls these three guys up and says, come here. And he, he, he calls five talent guy up first and he says, what'd you do with yours? And in and, and my mind, I picture them all three standing there at the same time. Number five, number two, and number one guy. And number five guy, he says, what'd you do with yours? Look here, I took out, I, I knew what to do, and I've, I've turned this five into ten. And wow, he looks at him and says, good for you. And of course, as a Sunday school student, our teachers always taught us that what that meant was you got to go win souls and you need to double and all that kind of stuff. And I agree with that. I think they were right. I hope you agree with that. And then it comes to talent guy too. He's given him two. And he says, well, I went out and I doubled what I had. I've, I've got four now. And he says, well done. You get to go into heaven. You get into joys of the Lord. Oh, that sounds good. Pardon me for saying it, but too many times I, I identified with guy number one. Because as a kid, I was always getting into trouble for something. Most of the time because I was talking too much. I can't ever remember in my early years of school coming home with a report card that didn't say something to this order, Kevin talks too much in class. It always said that on my report card somewhere or another. It was in my high school years before I finally got that off my report card. And so I've been in trouble before. And my dad had a little thin belt. And it made a certain sound coming off of his trousers that if I heard that sound right now, I'd probably get hair standing up on my head and back again. Any of you understand what I'm talking about? And so I learned some lawyer skills early. I learned how to negotiate. I learned that if you can say the right thing the right way, you might get a little less of that belt in the place where it hurts. I just picture talent guy who got one that went and hid his in the ground, standing there thinking, I've messed up. And quite honestly, 
When those Sunday school teachers taught that lesson about that guy, I always felt sorry for him. Because after all, he didn't go blow it, he hid it. He, he, he's like a good bank robber. He went out and hid that thing so nobody would get it. I know you don't believe that, but my dad pastored a church one time and prayed a guy through and he later on backslid. and He went robbed the bank and he served his time and he called my dad. He said, I need you to come visit me in prison and dad headed up there. He said, Brother Cox, I'm getting out in just a few weeks. And he said, I've got that money hid and nobody knows where it is and I need to pay tithe on it. <laughs> I'm not stretching it. God's truth. <laughs> I'm not making that up and I'm not exaggerating that one bit. I'm glad for the dad that I have. My dad looked at that man, called him by his name, and I could tell you his name, but I won't. And he said, I refuse to accept that money because you stole that money and you need to take it back where you stole it. Oh, I was glad for a dad of character and integrity. But this one talent guy, he hid his money. And so I can see him standing there thinking, I need some kind of a story. Because these two guys went out and doubled theirs and mine's got a little dirt on it, but at least I dug it up and I've got it here and it's ready to show. And so, here's where I give him a huge demerit. This is the story he comes up with. I read it to you. Lord, he said, I knew thee that thou art a hard man. I want to shoot him right there. You don't get good with somebody by telling them they're a hard man. I'm like, guy, what is wrong with your brain? Don't start out by telling your master he's mean and tough and hard. But that's what he said. And then he said, I know that you reap where you haven't sown. I had a little record player mom and dad bought me when I was a little kid. For all of you that don't know what that is, it's a form of what you can hear on a CD right now. But it's a record player. And we had a story that I listened to time and time again about a little chicken, a hen if you will, that found a grain of wheat and said, I'm going to plant it in the garden and grow enough. And she tried to get help from everybody and nobody wanted to help her all the way through until she was baking the bread and they all showed up. Some of you have heard that same story. Yeah. Said you have reaped where you haven't sown. Don't tell a guy that because what you're saying is you're trying to get something somebody else got. Well, I've got to tell you this story been about 20 years ago and we were having a family reunion on my mother's side and she grew up in southern Illinois and so they decided to have the family reunion at a place called Forbes Lake State Park and one of my cousins had a boat and I said I called him up I said boys and I are bringing our fishing poles up can 
can you let us use your boat a little bit while we're there and fish? He said, yeah. He said, it's so hot you probably won't catch anything, but you're welcome to it. So we didn't get up early that morning. We slept in. After all, we was going to have fun, you know. And it was getting warm, and so we got our poles out, and we got ready to head down. And one of my uncles, who was a good man, but he was a pessimist through and through. He says, Kevin, where are you and the boys going? My boys were about 12, 13 time. I said, we're going down here to catch some fish. We're going to have them after a while. We'll eat them when we're all together at the reunion. We'll fry a bunch of fish. He looked at me. He said, you're crazy. It's so hot down there, you won't catch anything. I said, oh, well, if we don't catch anything, we don't, but we're going to go give it a try. And so we drove down to where the, my cousin's boat was docked and there were some people had been fishing all night, a man and a woman. And as we got there, I saw them take about a 10-pound catfish out of their boat and throw it over the side. And I said, whoa, what'd you do that for? They said, oh, we've been out fishing all night and we always have a contest to see who can catch the most and the biggest. It was a husband and wife and they said, you know, we don't keep them. I said, have you got any more? They said, yes. I said, can I have them? They said, yes. We got out a rope. I promise you there was about 50 pounds of fish that we put on that rope. Good catfish. Kept them alive. I told my boys, I said, don't you say a word about how I got these fish. Don't say a word. So we fished and Uncle Marvin was pretty right. We didn't catch but three or four, you know, and we put them on there with these huge catfish those people had caught that night. And so just for honoring us, I was driving a van. We took that rope and tied it off the back end of the van so that when we drove up, here's all these huge catfish hanging there. We didn't stay down there too long. It was hot, a couple of hours, and we were back. And we pulled up, and my uncles and their brother-in-laws were all sitting in the chairs doing the spit and whittle stuff. You know what I'm talking about. And I deliberately backed that van up, parked it, and got out. I was watching for their reaction. Uncle Marvin's the first one to speak. He said, where'd you get those? I said, well, I told you we was going fishing down there at the lake. We got them out the lake. Wow. I'd already committed my boys to silence. My Uncle Jack was sitting there, looked at it, he said, I think I'm going to go buy a fishing license. <laughs> In other words, I'm explaining that I reaped where I didn't sow. Y'all understand what I'm talking about? Yeah. I sat down to eat crawfish one time, Brother Merle Ewing. When I eat crawfish, it's one at a time, just fast you can get them in. He'd peel his up until his plate was just rounded off with crawfish. I don't have that kind of patience. I wanted to say, Brother Ewing, there's a bear behind you, and grab his right quick, you know. But I, I didn't do that. That would have been reaping where you don't sow. Y'all get the picture. This guy who's trying to get out of trouble, who comes up with his speech, he's dumb. 
First he tells the guy you're a hard man. Then he says you reap where you don't sow. And to top it off, then he says you gather what, where thou hast not strawed. I didn't know what that meant. So I read the commentaries and I found out that when they began to winnow the wheat, they get the, the good part of that wheat, you know, the head up there where the grains off of it. That's what he was talking about. In other words, he said, you just went out there and grabbed the grains. You didn't work to get it in there. Wow. I'm like, guy, you messed up. And of course, I knew the end of the story because I've heard it said so many times in Sunday school. That guy went to hell and the other ones went to heaven. That's what Sunday school teacher said. I'm just being honest. But verse 25 lit up to me. A while back I read it, it said his Lord answered because I just have a feeling that what the Lord was saying, he was typing this into what is going to be happening someday. And he said this way, the Lord answered. In other words, he's talking now. He said, you're a wicked and a slothful servant. Well, he got that right. Because he's the Lord, he never messes up. He doesn't say anything about being a hard God. And I'm going to tell you right now, the God that I know is not a hard God. The God that I know, I love him and he loves me. I've never met a God that has mercy like our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You'll never meet a God who is more benevolent and kind and loving than our Lord. But he did repeat what the guy said. He said, you knew this about me, that I do reap where I sow not. And I gather where I haven't strawed. And I thought, Lord, that goes against everything that I've ever known about you. Wow. He said, I do reap where I haven't sown. And I came to the understanding that sometimes we've bypassed that scripture, getting the gist of the story. Not one of my Sunday school teachers ever brought that out to me. And I said, God, there's got to be something in there. I read a story over in the book of Luke chapter 7 about a man that he was kind of fond of himself. It names him. His name is Simon. He's a Pharisee, by the way. And he decided to invite Jesus over for dinner. I can't tell you this, but the book of Kevin Cox says this, all right? The Bible doesn't say what I'm going to tell you next. Kevin Cox's Bible says this next part. I think the reason he invited him over was not because he wanted to be in his presence and learn anything. I think that he invited him over so it would look good on his resume, if you will. After all, we're going to have him here and we're going to have some other dignitaries here and we're going to have a great time today. But there's... Something happens in that story because the Bible said there was a woman in that city. It's found in Luke 7, 37. If y'all could put it on the board, people won't doubt what I'm saying. And the Bible says this about her. She was a sinner. I don't know about you, but I've never 
like the idea of somebody labeling me sinner. But everybody in that town knew her. She's just a sinner. But the Bible says that she brought an alabaster box that day. And she came and she knelt at Jesus' feet. And she stood at his feet behind him weeping and began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Wow. That's impressive. But notice what verse 39 said when the Pharisee, talking about Simon, which had bidden him saw it. Here's what's so neat. He spake within himself. He didn't say it out loud. He was talking to himself. He said, this man, if he were a prophet, see, that's what tells me he didn't invite him over for the right reason. This man, if he were a prophet, he would have known who and what manner of woman this is that has touched him. For she is a sinner. Everybody knew her crowd. She's the sinner. She wasn't invited that day. She showed up the uninvited guest. And while he's thinking that thing, here's what's so awesome about Jesus. Bible said in verse 40, Jesus answering. Oh, he knew what he was thinking. Jesus answering said, Simon, I got something to tell you. Said, all right, say on. And boy, does he put a scalding on him. I hope y'all understand that kind of country language. In other words, he got on his case real bad. And while he's at it, he says, you didn't bother to even offer me anything to get my feet washed and all of this and that and other. But this lady, Jesus comes up with, who's a sinner? Everybody, can you imagine going around town with the reputation she had? I wouldn't have liked that at all. But he said, she's come in here and she has worshipped me. She's done this. And because of that, I'm going to forgive her of her sins. Here's what I like about this. What I'm trying to show is this. That woman had no right to be there. And really... She wasn't invited by either Jesus or Simon. But when she knew that the master of this universe was there, when she knew that the man who was the savior of all mankind, I don't know how she figured it out when Simon the Pharisee couldn't figure it out, but somehow she understood if I can get his attention, I'm not going to have to be labeled a sinner any longer. You see, here's the principle of sowing and reaping. You go out and you sow some corn in the ground and you wait the appropriate season and you keep it the weeds out and keep it cultivated and, and it rains enough on it. You're going to have a crop of corn. Oh, yeah. You go out there and plant potatoes in that ground and, and in time, if everything is working correctly, you're going to be able to go out and dig out far more potatoes than you planted. Oh yeah. 
And so here's the principle of sowing and reaping. I like what Brother Tenney told me one time. He said, the Bible says you reap what you sow. But he said, usually you reap a whole lot more than you sow. And I like that principle. And I'm going to explain to you why I like that principle. Because that lady found out that what God declared in Matthew 25 is accurate. He does reap where he hasn't sown. And he does gather where he hasn't strawed. I'm going to say it this way. Everybody in that city knew she was a sinner. And so if everybody knew it, Brother Churchill, you said that just one devil. I hope there's just one. But if there's just one, the devil knew it too. And the devil was saying in this sense, I have sown sin in her life and I've kept sowing it. And the longer I keep sowing it, she's just going to keep reaping more sin. But my God stepped in and said, back up, devil. I don't operate that. I don't operate like that. For God looked down and saw a lady that was a sinner. And he said, I'm here to make a difference in your life. Yeah, I know what the devil sowed, but I'm going to reap what he sowed. I'm going to make you brand new. If you all can put Hosea 10 and 12 on that screen, I would love for you to do that. Hosea 10 and 12, if they get it up there, I'll read it to you if they don't. This is what it says. Sow to yourselves in righteousness. But look what it says. Reap in mercy. Wow. Sow in righteousness. You know what righteousness means? Every one of these preachers know what righteousness means. That means there's a law and you've got to live according to the law. And if you don't, there's a judgment. But God said, I reap where I don't sow. Hosea the prophet caught a little bit of it. He said if you'll sow in righteousness, you'll reap in mercy. That doesn't make sense in the natural world. If you sow a tomato seed, you should reap a tomato plant. If you sow a corn seed, you ought to reap a corn stalk. But God said that's not how I operate. He said it doesn't matter to me. If you sow in righteousness, you're going to reap in mercy. Oh, Brother Cox, you're my, no, 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 I didn't misunderstand it. Psalms 126 and 5 said this. Some of you know it. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. They that sow in tears reap in joy. That doesn't make sense in the natural world. But I've got a God that's been looking down. He's seen the prayers that some of you prayed. And he said, I have heard those prayers. You've been sowing in tears. But get ready. You're going to reap in joy. When I, my dad pastored in Bogalusa. He took the church when I was 18. And I started, I'd always been involved in personal witnessing, going out and inviting people. 
I had an old gold bus at that church. Fellow that was driving it wasn't very faithful. I said, Dad, I'm gonna at that time you could get a chauffeur license at age 18, and I went and got one. And so I could drive that bus. We'd go out on Saturdays, we'd get in the streets of Bogalusa. We'd take bubble gum, candy bars, balloons. I learned how to tie those balloons that looked like hats and all this kind of stuff. Because I was wanting to reach children. If you were here to hear Brother Sistronk, he told you you can build a church out of your Sunday school. Good teaching. So we'd go out on Saturday morning. By the way, that bus wasn't air conditioning. It's hot in the summertime in Bogalusa. I think it must be almost the hottest place on the face of this earth. I'd come in drenched with sweat. Go to church on Sunday morning in the summertime. We didn't have air conditioning. Plus it didn't have power steering and it was a stick shift. I'd pull up to church many times my clothes already wringing wet from the heat of driving that thing around that town picking up kids. I'll never forget the day that we started letting them off the bus and there stood one of the fellows that had a lot of money in the church. He had that proud look and these kids getting off, some of them clothes were dirty and their hair wasn't combed right and they weren't dressed like you know you would have dressed your children to take them to church. They were just stragglers. And that guy got me so upset I didn't say anything. I just held my tongue. But he said, all you're doing is bribing those kids with candy bar and gum and get them here to church. I said, yes, sir, you're right. I wanted to say, and I'm going to keep doing it, and I did keep doing it. Because I felt like I was doing the right thing. If I could promise them a piece of bubble gum and get them in church, why not? It was on a Saturday morning. We were out there, and I saw a little boy playing in the street, and I said, hey, buddy, come here. You see that bus up there? Would you like to ride that to church in the morning? I blew him a balloon or gave him a candy bar or something. Oh, yeah. I said, well, you got any brothers and sisters? Yeah, I got an older sister, and I got two brothers. I said, wonderful. Maybe they'll come too. Let's go talk to your mama. We went down to talk to his mama. The dad's laying in the floor drunk. Yeah, you can come get them for church. And when we went to pick them up the next morning, the little four-month-old baby was with them. She didn't want to take care of it either. And so every Saturday I'd go back by that house. Not just that one, but I'm telling you this one in specific. Say, why would you do that? You've got an old snooty fellow standing out there on your case anyhow because you're wasting God's money. But I'm going to tell you the rest of that story. I've been to that house on a Saturday more than once and dad's dead drunk. By the way, dad is in prison right now. Mom's dead from an overdose of drugs. I preached her funeral. So I'm not just talking about somebody I don't know. But one of the delights of my life is to be able to tell you that as a person who sits on the Louisiana District Board, I've had the privilege...
of watching those two boys walk into that boardroom and walk out with a minister's license in the United Pentecostal Church. You see the devil looked down. He saw those little straggly head kids that were dirty. Their mama, I'm not going to tell you all that their mama and their daddy did. It's, it's too embarrassing. I'm telling you, they were the worst kind of sinners you can meet. And the devil sowed that into those kids. But I've got a God that says, I reap where I haven't sowed. Every time I chair a board meeting in our district, I look over at my presbyter of section number one. We've got 12 sections in our district. And I look over at presbyter of section 12. His wife, beautiful young lady, one of the finest girls ever came out of our church. I brought her on a Sunday school bus. You see, Satan had other ideas. I'll get her and destroy her. God said, oh no, I'm going to reach in and grab you out of sin. I'm going to reap where you haven't sowed. I'm going to further emphasize it with Scripture. The Bible said where sin abounds, can you quote it with me? There does grace much more, much more, much more. Grace is much more than an abounding sin. Grace says I'll reach in and I'll grab those sinners. I'm going to make them something brand new. mentioned the other night about our hurricanes that just devastated our state. Two of them less than a month apart if I remember right. Just absolutely was devastating. And literally people, even church people began to get a feeling of defeat. I was privileged to go around our state before anybody was allowed into those areas with a man who had authority to go in there. I didn't go in without authority but this man had authority and we went to our churches and I went into some of them because they didn't have a chance to get in and get to them and I brought out valuable items that were left in that church and I knew I needed to do that before somebody else stole them we got to one of our churches and I refused to walk in because it was so badly damaged it looked like that all you had to do was just put your hand on it and the whole thing would topple it was devastating I don't mean one church. I don't mean two churches. I'm talking about dozens of churches. People were dispersed all over the USA. I had one pastor that was pastoring 400 people. And the next time he had church service, it was less than 200 because that many people had moved away, Brother Parrish. They had lost their homes. And so I was praying about that. I'm the new superintendent. And God seemed to impress me that we needed to have a deliverance night at our camp meeting that next year. 
And so we designated that Friday night as deliverance night. We advertised it. You come Friday night, whatever you need, you're going to get it because God's going to supply it. We were ready to get that old defeated attitude out of there. Our evangelist that was speaking that year spoke that Thursday night at the mission service and that Friday night was going to be deliverance service. I can remember like yesterday when he stepped in the pulpit for Thursday night making his preliminary remarks and he said tonight is missions night. But he said tomorrow night when you come, he said deliverance is going to be in this place and God is going to work through signs and wonders and miracles. And I'm sitting over there hearing him and I thought, oh God, I hope he's not just talking. I want that to happen. We've got a group of men that we call prayer chaplains that meet before service quite early. and All of our prayer requests come in. They go over them. They're all of them are some of our pastors and ministers. And, and they go over them and they pray over all those requests. And my wife and I were headed down early as we always did to get ready for that night service and make sure the last, you know, anyhow. As I came walking up to the offices, a fellow met me and said, Brother Cox, we've just got horrible news. And right behind him was the man they were fixing to take off. I said, what is it? He said, Brother Rusty's wife and her three children were just involved in a head-on collision with a tractor-trailer truck loaded with gravel. And the police, the highway patrol, have taken every one of them to the hospital. We know they're in intensive care. We know that his wife's in intensive care and they won't tell us about the rest. We're afraid they may be dead. And I'm like, oh God, what's wrong here? We're supposed to be having deliverance night tonight. And we're going to have to walk in there with one of our young pastors and his wife. Children has just probably been destroyed on their way to camp. They were not goofing off. They were on their way to camp. I didn't know what was going to be. But when we walked out into that auditorium at about 7.15, we stood up and I said, we've got a request of prayer. We need to pray for Brother Rusty and his family. I said, he's on his way to the hospital where they carried the family. We don't know enough results, but we know we need a miracle. After that service, I got in contact with Brother Rusty. He said, Brother Cox, he said, I got to tell you what happened. He said, my wife was driving along, and if you've ever had kids, you'll understand this. She said, it came a real hard downpour of rain, and, and she told him, said, get your seatbelts back on. If you've ever had more than one kid, they fight over who gets set up front. You understand that? For some reason, the littlest one to fight to sit up front that day, and she was buckled in. And the others hadn't been buckled in, but she had just made them buckle in. And that car hydroplaned across that road as they were headed to camp. They were driving a small little, like a minivan-like thing. And it hit the back tires the, as the, the truck driver told him. He said, I saw them coming. He said, but I can't explain what happened. He said, their car slid in and hit the back wheels of my loaded tractor-trailer truck. He said, I couldn't avoid them. And he said, it should have rolled right over them. But he said, for whatever reason, instead of it rolling over and crushing them, 
it bounced back and flipped in the air and jumped over top of my truck and landed in the ditch right side up. Unexplainable. Some fella drives up in a brand new vehicle, sees what's going on. Sister Missy's pinned under the wheel, can't get out. But there's three girls with their seatbelts on. He says, come back in this pouring rain and get out of this vehicle and set in mine with me. By the way, the trooper never has it in his report and nobody can explain what kind of vehicle it was and who it was driving it. But the three girls sat in it until the state trooper got there and until the ambulance got there. They loaded them in the ambulances. They had to cut with those jaws of life to get Sister Missy out. And they knew she was in bad shape. They put her on those boards like they do. And I'm not very medical, so folks, you have to get somebody medical to explain what happened. And when they got her to the emergency room, they put her right to the head of the line. And they could tell that her arm was broken because it was already turned that crazy bluish purple color that they get when there's no blood supply. And Brother Rusty told me it was just hanging. It just hanging. It was broken so into it. Just hanging. There was no movement. But they weren't worried about that as they were the injury to her neck that had already swollen up and they had already made the x-rays or whatever it is they take. And they told them, they said, she's got the same injury that paralyzed the man that used to play Superman and I forgot his name. But anyhow, same injury. They said, she will be paralyzed for the rest of her life. And they're trying to work with her. And Brother Rusty told me, he said about 7.15. He didn't know what he was telling. He said, but about 7.15, while that they had their hand on the neck, the doctor literally had his hand on that huge swelling on the back of her neck. All of a sudden, that swelling went down. He said that arm that was just hanging there, he said you could watch the color start at her shoulder and it started working down her arm. And when it hit the place where it was broken, limp, he said her arm just jumped up and it kept coming on down. He said, Brother Cox, there's nothing wrong with my wife. They're just keeping her for observation tonight. They can't explain it. I can I've got a God that said, devil, you intended to bring harm, but I'm going to reap. I didn't tell you the whole story. You see, this young pastor had just been elected pastor at one of our churches that had made the wrong way turn. But this young pastor was determined to turn it around, and he was already getting it turned around. And I know without a doubt in my mind that the enemy of our soul said, I'll disappoint him tonight. I'll just kill his wife. I'll just kill those three little ones. 
But I've got a God that looked at the devil and said, I reap where I haven't sown. We had the preacher preach. After we prayed, none of us knew that at the point that I'm telling you now. And that evangelist preached and that tabernacle was full of defeated people. And he told them at the end when he finished preaching, he said, I want you to come up front because God is getting ready to operate and we're going to have signs and miracles happen, etc., etc. I don't mind calling her name. Her name's Becky McMurray. She belongs to the church in Hodge, Louisiana. She brought her friend up there who needed the Holy Ghost and needed healing. Sister Becky had been in a wreck 10 years before. And the doctors had said, you'll be in pain the rest of your life because something in her backbone, and I don't understand all that, wasn't right. (laughs) And she just lived in pain. And she brings her friend up for prayer. She's been suffering 10 years. And when she walked up, it just happened to be the camp evangelist was standing there. I was standing over at the side of our platform. It's up high, sort of like this one. Maybe not quite this high. And I'm standing over here. It's not quite this high. I can tell you that now, looking down. (laughs) Sister Becky's got her friend. And when she walked to the evangelist to tell him she needed prayer, he looked at her and he said, you've brought your friend for prayer. But he said, God just showed me that you've been in an accident and you're in horrific pain. And he said, you're getting ready to be healed right now. And he laid hands on her. There was a big knot that was on her neck from that 10 years ago. And while he had his hands on her, he told me later, he said, I heard the backbones in her back go to crunching and making funny snapping sounds. And she started jumping and screaming and hollering. I didn't know what was wrong. And she came over to me. I didn't know what had just happened. She's saying, feel my neck. I'm like, you know, I just don't go around feeling other women's neck. She's healed still. I saw her just a couple months ago. I'm telling you, God said, I know how to reap where I hadn't sowed. Let's stand together. I had much more written down, I was going to tell you. But it's 9 o'clock. I'm going to ask you that are here tonight. I believe there's some wife here tonight, perhaps some mother, perhaps a dad. You may have been praying for years for your child to be saved. You can't understand because you knew that you sowed good in there. But the devil's got them out in a hog wallow of sin. I'm challenging you, don't give up tonight. There's a law that says, Jesus said, it's in red letter writing, I reap where I haven't sown. They're going to come back. You know how I know? Because you're praying and you're believing. And that's the kind of God that I've got. He's going to answer that prayer. Unless you get disappointed, you may not see it. But they're going to come back.
I walked in Sunday night a few weeks back, a couple months back actually, Pentecostals, Alexandria, that's where I go when I'm at home. I didn't even have a chance to go to the house. I'd been preaching across the state that day. In fact, I was even late for prayer. Prayer time was 5.30 and it was about 5.45 when I pulled in and got into the prayer room. I didn't probably smell the best and look the best, but I wanted to be in church. And when I walked in that prayer room, it wasn't prayer as usual. I'm like, what's going on here? I mean, that prayer room was fired up like you can't imagine. And finally, the singers were doing what they were supposed to do. They were already, you know, it was time for church. And, and they did the right thing. They were out there singing and et cetera. And there were plenty of people out there that hadn't been in the prayer room just sitting there in their little happy ways getting ready for another church service. And I'm not really making fun of them, but I think you understand. And Pastor Anthony Mangan raised his voice in that prayer room and he said, Folks, let's just go through the doors and go into church. When they went in, that crowd didn't sit down. <laughs> they started victory marching because I mean the fire was on. And guess what it caught? When you got a fire, it catches. I wish I could remember that night how many were healed and filled with the Holy Ghost. I've already forgotten. All I can tell you is it was not church as usual. And I figured out what the difference was in the prayer room. One of our dear pastors who died of old age a couple years ago, his son, who's as white-headed as Brother Glover is, had got back in the church Two years after his daddy was dead, after being backslid since he was a teenager. But when he hit that prayer room that night, there was so much fire in him, it hit everybody else and it lit the whole place on fire. So if there's one person here tonight that's ready to have God reap where he hadn't sown in your life. I challenge you to make your way to this altar. I wouldn't wait around very long because I've got a God that says you're going to get it. He doesn't play fair when he's dealing with the devil. He just takes it anyway. Come get it in Jesus' name. Woo.